Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm your host Behram Kazi and with me of course is Jared Kimber who wants to tell you something so I'm going to give it to him right away. Yeah, <laughs> just this is just housekeeping just for those who are watch who watch these podcasts on YouTube. We are moving all the lives to the Jared Kimber uh podcasting so hopefully um Muku remembered to put it in in the links beneath but if not I'm sure you can find a link to it. Um so from now on uh this is the last uncovered that will be on the main Jared Kimber page. We'll probably have one more wagon wheel uh, before we move over 100%. But obviously, Footmarks is already on that other page. And during the World Cup, and this is the crucial one for anyone who likes the videos, is if we do any live videos from the World Cup, they will all be on the Jared Kimber podcasting. This channel is going to stay, but just for pre-made stuff and everything else. Not that Bayram is a pretty. I'll still find reasons <laughs> to bring him over to this channel. But for the live chats and and everything from that point of view, that will be on the other channel. That's what we set the other channel up for. Anyway, I'm sure I'm never going to talk about, I don't know, yeah, Jason I Roy mean, or something. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's happened. Of course, I think we'll start with the Asia Cup. And India won the final, defeated Sri Lanka by 10 wickets. It was over before we knew it. They even chased it down in like 6.1 overs. And yeah, I mean, I reckon, Jared, you could last longer. Well, I can tell you the full story. <laughs> it was raining. And... Hmm. And I was like, I was looking at my phone, waiting for the game to come on. And I'd been looking after the kids all morning. On, I think it was, it was Sunday, wasn't it? So my wife was out mm. singing. So all morning I was looking after the kids. And then I saw that it was still raining. And I didn't check, obviously, wherever Cricket for Cricket Buzz, whatever I was mm. looking at, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the little thing saying they would come back on. So I went and had yeah. a shower. And then while I was having a shower, I was like, I might as well just clean the bathroom. So I had a shower and cleaned mm. the bathroom. And when I came out, the game was basically over. I think they're about 31 for seven or 32 for mm-hmm. six or something ridiculous. And I was like, my oh God, I've just missed the final. How long <laughs> was I in the shower? But I will say this, my bathroom was so clean. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was really surprising. I, I was at a family lunch and I was like, okay, you know, I'll miss the start of the game. And then I turned the TV on and same story, you know, 12 for six or something like that. And yeah, I mean, of course, India absolutely steamrolled Sri Lanka. Maybe that's even an understatement. And I mm. think we need to talk about Mohamed Siraj because after 28 innings in ODI cricket, he has 53 wickets at 19.11. He does, you know, get go under, under the radar with Bumrah and that team, of course. But, uh, I mean, it was the quickest, joint quickest five-wicket haul in ODI history. It took, he took 16 balls, took four wickets in an over. And, yeah, how do you rate him overall? Because he's quite had quite the start. Yeah, he. I, I think... Um... I think I'm right in saying that I had India as the worst power playing bowling team in the last three years against the best teams in one day mm. cricket. And 
when Cheyenne looked this up for us, we realized <laughs> there's basically <laughs> two different worlds. There's the world where Siraj wasn't playing, where they were averaging yeah. like over 100 or something. 108. 108. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thank you to Cheyenne <laughs> for that one. Um, and then the, the current world where Siraj is coming in, where they're averaging minus seven. So mm. y- you might remember that number, but I can't remember that one. But the, the point being that it's an 23. incredible... 23.4. 23.4 is the number, I think. Which, which is, I know that doesn't sound really, really low, but it is because teams don't actually lose a lot of wickets in the power play. So generally the average is well over 30. So it's probably 34 or 35. So they're looking, you know, since Siraj has been in, you're looking at a team that's been 20, 25, 30% better than other power play bowling teams. I remember he's, he's always been confusing to me because he had a really great year in the IPL where he took a lot of wickets. And then he had another year where he didn't take any wickets, but no one could hit him off the square. And Usually what happens is you get a bowler who's really good at taking white ball wickets and then people stop um, taking any risks off them. So mm. is a really good example of this. Sanonarayim is another one. Uh, Rashid Khan. We've seen this before. Lassif Balinga. We've seen that sort of trend before. It stops him taking wickets. But mm. Siraj, there's been, like his pattern's been all over the place. One year he looks brilliant. Another year he looks frugal. The next year he looks a bit do- dogged. You know, he's kind of not, all, you know, he, he's not been that great. But what I would say is that he's, Natural ability to get, I would say he probably gets the most deviation off the wobble ball of anyone. Mm. So in those first six overs that he can bowl, it makes sense that he should cause the the most amount of uh, problems. I think he's a highly skilled bowler. Um, mm. I, I think if anything, and this is probably a larger point, but he does prove he does prove what I've always said, which is there's so much talent out in the rest of the cricket world, and quite often we keep looking in the same places over and over again. And it means that especially people who don't go to elite schools or don't have parents who can push them, or whatever, get overlooked. To have a player of Siraj's talent come so late to the game the way that he has. Mm. And you and I both know there's a lot of Pakistani players and a lot of Sri Lanka players. The same sort of thing happens again and again. We're now seeing it with Bangladesh players as well. There's so much talent out there. And there really is, you know, what you could do if you could find these guys earlier would be absolutely incredible because I don't think I don't think you'd have to be, uh, even if you're a scout with one eye, Baron, and you mm. were drunk, um, and you, and you fell over the day before, um, and hit your head. I mm. think if you saw him bowl, you'd be like, that's not a normal thing that I'm mm. seeing right here. Um, he's probably even better uh, than we thought when he first came through. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he, him and Bumrah together, uh, are an incredible partnership, really, if they can, yeah. if they can get together because of the way that they, you know, they, they can do both ends as well. Pardon the, you know, I, I'm not sure if that is a pun, but pardon the weird sexual innuendo or the weird viral uh, in, innuendo, depending on, you know, some people would have read that sexy. Some people would have read that as vomit and diarrhea. In either way, that's not what I meant. I meant that they could bowl at the power play and in the death. Yeah, they absolutely can. And if I were that scout with my uh, head hurt and one eye and drunk, I wouldn't be the scout. I would have been sub for Manus. Manus would have been the concussion sub and he would have been the scout, right? But you spoke about Siraj bowling the wobble ball. I think he consistently, you know, shaped the ball away from the right-hander really, really well. And that is always difficult. And, you know, speaking of wobble ball, Pandya has been doing it. Bumrah, the lateral movement that he is generating, it's like a mile, right? It's absolutely unplayable. You've got Kuldeep's mystery into this, uh, add that. And uh, of course, Jadeja keeping things tight. You look at India's bowling attack and all of a sudden, you know, you're like, okay, these guys are shaping up quite well. But they are not playing all three of Shami, Siraj and Bumrah. And whilst Mm. this is working for them right now, do you think as the World Cup progresses and they go deep into that tournament, 
this could potentially come back and haunt them? It, it's it's a brilliant question. And South Africa is the bigger question than India, right? Because mm. South African have got um, probably going to have to have Marco Janssen in at seven. Weirdly yeah. enough, his bowling with the new ball has been horrendous. So mm. how he's going to bowl in those games might be the bigger issue. Um, but then after that, they've got bat- they've got no one who can bat, right? Mm. India, if you if Siraj is bowling the way he is, and Mohammed Shami is, I think I said this on a previous episode, but one of the best strike bowlers in ODI cricket history, and mm. obviously Jasper Bumrah is Jasper Bumrah. It's almost impossible not to play them, right? Yeah. And to not go in with, with, with that. The question then becomes, what do you need to do with the two spinner spots? Are those mm. seamers so dominant that you can have Jadeja as a holding bowler and then bring mm. in Ashwin, for instance? Um, yeah, which Akshar could happen. Is, yeah, with Ashwin being injured, right? Yeah. It's a very big, you know, or Washington Zunda. It doesn't mm. really matter. But you bring in one of those guys knowing that you can basically replace Shardell's batting. They bat in a different style, but they can replace mm-hmm. the level of batting. And then you're batting until number eight, right? And you can use that combination however you want. You know, mm. uh, you know, Washington can go up the order and be a pinch hitter. Ashwin can be a pinch spin blocker. You know, whatever you mm. need those guys to be. You're still batting until eight. And then you're like at nine, 10, and 11, you know, maybe Shemi gets a couple away. Maybe Jasper gets a couple away and helps us mm. occasionally, right? If you have cool deep in that side, I, and I know he can hold a bat, but you know mm-hmm. he's not on the level of the other guys we just mentioned. He's not even on Shardul's level, right? Yeah. Uh, I just think that knowing Indian cricket, and look, I haven't chatted to anyone in the Indian camp about this. I'll, I'll send um, Roll Driver an uh, email now explaining it to him. <laughs> but you know, um, I would think that if you took away that number eight who can bat, hmm. I think the top order will bat slower. And that will cause True. more of a problem. And then you need your seamers to be even better. And you could, you know, I, it's, it's, it's one of these things. You, you see a lot of T20 pundits, you know, and I'm talking about really good analysis people in fantasy cricket and everything else. Always say, oh, number seven is such an overrated position. And it is on paper. It is not an overrated position psychologically for cricketers. Mm. If a cricketer looks up and sees their number seven is a bowler, they get nervous when they're opening the batting, right? And that plays all the way through until you until you end up with a batting lineup of about ten or eleven. There's always you know a, a, mm. a sneaky less. And I just think that India have had, had had so many times when they've gone defensive or conservative or played within themselves for so many reasons. Don't give them one. So either yeah. Ashwin comes in and he spins it one way, and Jadeja spins it the other, and you know that you might not as get get as many wickets as Cool Deep will get, or you bring cool deep in you then play the three best seamers and you just say we're going to get so many wickets with these four bowlers and mm. Jadeja and hardik will, will pick up you know enough from the rest you know good combination for the rest as well that will be absolutely flying um and we're willing to bet on the fact that we're going to make fewer runs so i mean that's the way i would be having that conversation but i but i think the most important thing is that you have to be very very clear with everyone mm. right yeah and say to them we still have if it, let's say you have Jadeja at seven and you have cool deep at eight right you just say to the team, we have Ravi Jadeja at number seven. If you can't trust that, right, mm. just go out and bat normally. And then if it all goes to shit, Siraj will take, you know, four wickets in and over and we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally down for that plan, right? Because I would love to play those three seamers together, but or all three of those seamers together. But I do feel that India is not going to opt for that. And I think they're going to play both Washington and Ashwin in this series versus Australia, which I'm startled that there's a full series right before the World Cup with well. Australia. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I tell you what, the <laughs> it's very rare that England, India and Australia 
don't play each other before a World Cup um, mm. to prepare each other for it. They are very good at looking after their own big three interests. So, you know, and and to be fair, these other teams have got to work out ways of doing similar things as well. But India and Australia and England, it's hilarious to me how often this happens. England will be really upset that they're playing Ireland and that they haven't organized yeah. this a little bit better, I think. Um, if I was an England player, I think I would be contacting the ECB and just going, how did this happen? How, can we play Oman? Can, you know, can we play <laughs> Nepal? Like, can we play someone in Asia? Yeah, because New Zealand are getting to play Bangladesh as well. So hmm? both the trans-Tasman sides are getting some experience in Asia as well. So that's quite helpful for them. If you had to pick one, Washington or Ashwin? I think I'd pick Ashwin. I mean, hmm. I don't think you'll find a bit of bigger Washington um, fan than me, other than his dad. Hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of his, and I think he would do a really, really good job. But I think if, I think you, even though Ashwin's not a great wicket taker in ODI cricket, he is a great wicket taker, and mm-hmm. he has the ability in certain situations to manufacture a wicket when maybe others don't. And I think his batting's more useful than Washington's, even though Washington probably should be a much better batter than Ashwin. Um, uh, you know, and maybe will end up as a much better player as he, as he matures yeah. and, and, and everything else. But right at the moment, uh, but there's also the experience factor. Like, mm. if you have Ashwin in that camp, you have all the strategies, right? You have the discussions yeah. um, and everything else. And so I would feel more... session before yeah. the World Cup. Everyone's going to... He's going to teach everyone how to execute that properly. Exactly. Because someone yeah. messed it up in the IPL, didn't they? Someone messed it up. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, these, <laughs> these things go wrong. But yeah, so I think... I think from that perspective, they're just little things that um, he, he go with. But I think, you know, Washington's a fantastic player. But mm. I feel like he's still in development as a talent. Mm. And, you know, maybe if they want a player who can be slightly more of an X factor. The only other thing I would say with Washington is that he's a very good new ball bowler. Right. And, you know, if they look at that lineup and they go, really what we want is we want maybe Bumra, Siraj, let's say Shami in this situation to bowl the mm. bulk of that sort of middle or we want cool deep and action um actually jadeja in that situation to bowl the bulk of the middle what would really be handy is a spinner who can bowl us five overs between 10 and 20 over mark when the ball's mm. still skidding on a little bit and you can get a little bit um out of it from that perspective so you know there's an argument to be made for that if they think they need that and it's not that ashwin yeah. can't do that job but ashwin's probably more suited to bowling in the middle period in a one-day international. In T20, I think they could both do it. But I think Washington's yeah. a real new ball bowler. Yeah, that's interesting because India won't be relying on that bowler to bowl 10 overs per se, right? Because they've got Hardik and Hardik is bowling brilliantly. And uh, Shubman got runs, which is also great news for them, albeit in a losing cause. But he was the leading scorer at the Asia Cup. And, you know, in an era where, of course, Rohit and Virat are both still, you know, top drawer, they're world class. But we've seen the best of them. Shubman is coming up and if he's the top scorer at the Asia Cup, that's going to do his confidence a world of good going into a home World Cup. Yeah, I mean, does he need confidence? I I know that's a weird (laughs) thing to say. Look, everyone likes to be doing their job slightly better when they hit a major tournament or a major job or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing in your life. So I get it from that point of view. But he's the sort of player that probably gets major confidence from one good cover drive. Like, I don't think, I think there are certain batters that maybe would need that a little bit more. But we know he's good, and this could be his World Cup. I might be a World Cup too early for him. Although um, KSR put a tweet out today saying this is the last World Cup mm. ever, so uh, you know, might be Shubman's last chance to take over a World Cup. <laughs> but I think a player like him, not just that he's good in Asian conditions, but you know that ability to sort of play on the up and get on top of bowlers a little bit. I kind of feel like him and Johnny Bairstow, mm. the sorts of 
games, the sort of games I have, especially in that first 10 to 30 over, um, mm. you know, uh, well, zero to 30 over period. It'd be interesting to me if they could both have very, very good tournaments. They could both fail, of course, mm. and people could work mm. it out. And, you know, um, Besto, uh, his, his last couple of years have been weird in all, all levels of cricket. But I wonder if those aren't the sort of players that could go on to score 350, 450 runs in this tournament. Um, but, uh, I, you know, the, the confidence thing, I remember talking to an international player, must have been around the 2019 about confidence. And, and he was saying that after making, after making runs, you feel better than when you haven't made runs. But mm-hmm. sometimes not making runs makes you watch the ball harder makes you make better decisions and everything else, right? There's no magic cure-all or anything else. And Shubman Gill was good before and he's good now. Um, the only thing that it changes for me, Bayram, is that if he fails in the first two games, Indian fans mm. won't say that he's terrible and he should never play for India again. So I yeah. suppose that helps his social media. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be playing this Australia series, right? I know they've rested a lot of players, but Shubman's still in that squad, if I'm not wrong. So that's a good opportunity. And good on Will India people for watch resting. That? Do you think people I don't know, watch I don't... that? I'm not sure. I, I guess people would watch anything in the build-up to the World Cup because it's all very relevant. But then again, if India's best team is not playing, you know, That's should Australia's I mean. best team play? Because Australia's have, Australia have had a few injuries, right? Well, Australia sent so. Mitchell Stark home, didn't they? And someone else home. Mm. Obviously, the Travis Head injury as well. Australia yeah. got a lot of injuries. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not the best Australian team. It's not the best uh, Indian team. I didn't see the ratings for the Asia Cup. I haven't mm. asked anyone what, what those ratings were. Um, but it didn't feel like it was massively hyped and, and everything. I mean, this is the problem with having, oh, it's a tournament and then it's a bilateral mm. series and then it's a World Cup. When the World Cup comes around, there will be more interest and that is a mm. natural thing that we see all the time. Um, but there, you know, it's not quite the same. So, I, I mean, if you, I would have thought if you're an Indian player, <clears throat> you're better off to, or an Australian player, you're better off to fail in this particular tournament unless mm. your position is in jeopardy just because no one's going to be watching, right? Like, or, or sorry, yeah. the, even if those who are watching, they're going to kind of be side-eyeing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a little bit different. But look, Truman Gill's fantastic. Um, uh, it was good to see him make some runs. Yeah, and uh, on that India resting players part, I just want to say this on record that a lot of people are criticizing India for again chopping and changing. Look, look at what's happening at Pakistan. Okay, you want your best players to rest. Okay, and coming to Pakistan, uh, once again, chaos has ensued. They are in tatters and that's something very synonymous with Pakistan cricket. And it's weird how in the past that hasn't held them back. If anything, they've thrived under chaos. And of course, that's, you know, a narrative to build, but we don't know how things will play out. Naseem Shah is gone. He's out of the World Cup. And there are two stories that I'm hearing right now, Jared. One is that this was a freak injury and there was no recurrence. The other one is that he had had issues with his shoulder. He was complaining about them, but they were being managed. So either way, even if it's a freak injury, I think they've really dropped the ball with respect to workload management. And we've spoken about this enough times on this podcast itself. Do you think, you know, the onus falls on the team management? This is a howler by them? Who who is the... Who was the game where they completely dominated everyone with the ball? Was it an early... Uh, in the Asia Cup? B- B- yeah. Bangladesh. The they Bangladesh game. For, yeah, that is the last game. That is the last game outside of the final. I would have picked Shaheen, Afridi, and Nazim Shah. Mm. Might have <laughs> tried one of the others. Maybe I would have mixed and matched a little bit, rested one, then yeah. brought one back, or whatever, all those sorts of things. There's no way. I mean... There's just no reason for them to be playing in those games. It's different if yeah. maybe you get to the semifinal even and then you think to yourself, wow, we could win a trophy here. 
Mm. You know, India are, are not playing um, at, you know, what well, they did end up playing at full strength. But, you know, you think you said maybe India won't play at full strength. We can maybe sneak a, a, a trophy here. So what have Pakistan done? They've lost the Asia Cup and they've lost mm. the player. I just, I don't see the point of it. The only thing I would say is this, that have you ever heard the theory? I'm trying to remember. And I know this is this is something that I think it used to be from old business manuals or something. And you might know this from your time in, in Canada business, um, <laughs> Canadian business scene, as you were. You know that thing that people before they had to give a big pitch or a sales, go into a sales mm. meeting, whatever, or like get someone to slap them in the face or cut their mm. tie and they had to replace their tie with someone else's tie or they pinched themselves on the chest or the nipple, right, before they went in. Although the nipple might be sexual again, I don't know. But mm. From that perspective, you can certainly see that there, there does appear to be sometimes for Pakistan cricket, you almost need a key injury or something mm -hmm. going wrong or, you know, a, a consp conspiracy or controversy or whatever to almost get everyone to that level um, yeah. of, of peak Pakistan World Cup cricket mm -hmm. um, frenzy. But no, Nazim Shah, you can't really replace him. Mm. Um, Pakistan can do better than most teams at replacing him, but he's at a different level of talent, I think, than anyone yeah. who who will come in. Uh, so it's a problem. Uh, yeah, the only thing I would say is that Australia won the 2003 World Cup without Jason Gillespie and Shane Warne. Mm. Pakistan didn't have Wakar in 1992. I yeah. could go on and on of you know teams that have missed key players at times in in World Cups, um, you know, uh, and yet still been you know still won the tournament. It's a problem-solving tournament. We talk about that all the time, and this is another problem that Pakistan have to deal with. If they played a part in this injury, if, if it's true that he had a shoulder issue and he was bowling through the mm. Asia Cup, they deserve what they get. Um, mm. But if I not, mean, he was playing versus Nepal in Multan, and Multan is blistering hot right now, right? So, I mean, I, I rest my case. But, you know, I am all for that whole narrative, and I do believe that at times, or more often than not, Pakistan cricket has needed a chaotic trigger which kind of galvanizes them and makes them, you know, work harder or whatever. But Naseem had 32 wickets in 14 ODIs and he was averaging less than 17. You can't replace that. He was an all-phase bowler. Power play, death, middle overs. So yeah, we're all devastated over here. But of course, there were some positives as well. Rizwan got 86. Abdullah Shafiq played a game, scored a 50. Iftikhar Ahmed, I'm not sure how well-versed you are with Ifti Mania, but this man it's is great. completely, he, he's, he's, you know, charting new heights. He's scoring runs, he's yeah. taking wickets. A couple of years ago, I was working with his agent to try and get him mm. sold. And I remember, you know, doing the darts around him and going, oh, there's so many little bits of his game that are really, really mm. good. But he was a very, he was like an above average franchise level player, but not the mm -hmm. sort of player you'd naturally want in, in, in overseas leagues. And even two or three years ago, you look at his numbers going, there's not a lot here. Mm. What he did in that last World Cup in Australia was phenomenal. Yeah. The fact that he's playing a different role again now, and we've seen, mm. you know, him back in Pakistan at times as well, plus the international stuff. It's a great story of of a player rising very, very late. And it, look, this is the mm. sort of story that if you're, if you're, you know, Mickey Arthur or someone like that in Pakistan <laughs> cricket, this is the story I'd be talking up at every press conference. Of like, look, mm. isn't one of those older guys getting better at something? Because you, you yeah. know, Shan Masood, Misbah Al Haq. It's not the first time that we've seen it. All right. Mm -hmm. Say that, Yeah, you need to talk those stories up in Pakistan because otherwise they will find a 14-year-old with a good mullet um, and bring him <laughs> into the side, right? You need to let people know that everyone develops in a different way. Look, he's a fantastic player. I think I, I, he was one of those players before I was asked to work on him. I don't think I had a strong opinion on him. And then afterwards, I was like, mm. no, there are bits of this that can definitely work um, for him. 
And I'm really glad that he's taken the the little bits in his game that I had to kind of wade through. Do you know what I mean? I had to, I had to go through some dirt to find them. And <laughs> yeah. he's really polished up all those different parts of his game. And it, you know, it's a yeah. fantastic story. Plus, you know, his power hitting game has really improved. He can manipulate strike as well. Mm-hmm. He can kind of bat in a crisis. And those buffer overs, which, I mean, he did really well against Sri Lanka. Um, you spoke or we spoke about, you know, all the teams prior to the World Cup. And we both had Pakistan placed in that tier two behind England and India. And then just about at par with Australia. Do you think they've slipped to maybe tier three or four after losing the team? I can't imagine they would have slipped to tier four. Hmm. Because tier four is probably Sri Lanka, right? Like I'd have to, I haven't quite done my tiers. I'll do a power list, obviously, probably next week. Um, we just finished the team maps, so all the mm. all the team maps will be up. Uh, well, the first one will be up tomorrow. So it's I don't know India. I want to say Afghanistan and Netherlands. No, it's India. Someone in Netherlands. I can't remember yeah. who the first three teams I did. <laughs> Bangladesh. Uh, the third one is Bangladesh. Was it Bangladesh? Um, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. Um, so they're up, and then and then we've got a few more teams after, that, and then a few more teams at the end. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't quite got to the point of tears. Uh, hmm. I can't imagine, like, if you think about it, they're going to make pass score pretty regularly, right? There are some flaws Hopefully. with the Pakistan team, but they're going to make a pass score pretty regularly. Hmm. Whereas if you compare that to Sri Lanka, who you might say now has a slightly better bowling attack, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But they're not going to make a pass score very regularly, right? They're going to well, make probably below pass scores. And I don't mean that just because they went out for 12, because hmm. I did the pos- podcast with Estelle couple of weeks ago where we'd already discussed yeah. all this right i you know me and estelle were wait when people were saying oh they've won all these games in a row me and estelle were like yeah they still cut back right <laughs> so i i think that pakistan is still a better team there so it's probably maybe tier three with what mm-hmm. south africa and australia in tier two maybe at this stage but i would have to yeah. go through the details a little bit closer mm-hmm. fair enough you of course brought up sri lanka and you mentioned how you know they have a fragile batting order but Kusal Mendes scored a lot of runs in this Asia Cup, was the second highest run scorer. What then was in the middle, rate? yeah, I mean, I, I can't quite remember, but not as high, of course. But then Charitha Salanka and Sadira Samra Vikrama after him also did well with the bat. This middle order looks better than it did before. That we can say for sure, right? Yeah, I, look, I think it's improved. Um, mm. But we looked, uh, you know, me and Estelle looked pretty closely at uh, all these different details of, mm. of them. It's not improved to the point where you think that they are going, they're not like, if I told you that they scored 380 against um, England, would you be surprised? Sri Lanka? Yeah, very right? much. So, mm. so. Unless Kusal Pereira scored like 180 of 120, maybe then it's possible. Yeah. So, so it, within that, you know, you don't, you don't have a situation where we're suddenly thinking that they should do something dramatically different. Mm. Right. And, so do I think they can make pass scores? Yeah, I think they can. Mm. How many above pass scores can they make against New Zealand, India, Australia, England, mm. Pakistan, South Africa? Right? That's the question. Yeah. If they can mm. make two above pass scores there, I think they've actually got the absolute most out of their team. Right? And yeah. look, we've been, everyone's been waiting for Mendes for a million years. Um you know, and obviously they had a couple of batters. I think they had the third highest batter in the um, uh, in the strike rates, uh, not in, in the in the runs in Asia Cup. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look, like you know, their strike rates around eighty eighty five. Um, I think Asalanka's strike rate was like 
75? Was, is, does that sound right? Does it sound like I'm making that up? I mean, I don't know how much no, of that was. sounds about right. I mean, you, you've got to take the surfaces into account as well. Like a lot of these surfaces were slow and low. So it wasn't like run scoring was particularly easy. The Sunkers so, was 78. Yeah. I just looked that up, by the way. Do you, you see what right. I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. the difference. I'm not saying these guys can't bat because I actually think in test cricket over the last couple of years, we've seen that they can bat. Mm-hmm. I think Mendes is a ridiculously talented uh, player for someone who may not end up getting the most out of himself. Um, Kusel, of course, sorry. Um, so, you know, in that sort of situation, that what's their best case scenario in, let's say, against a decent attack? So let's not say India or South Africa. Uh, let's say England or New Zealand. So slightly, mm. a, slight, a slight step down on that. Is their best case scenario scoring 300? Right? Probably, yeah. So then they are going to have to take six to eight wickets quite regularly in order to be defending that against the best batting lineups. And, you know, I just did the numbers on them uh, for the team match. They were the last team I did, actually. And that's how they win. And it's the only way they win, right? They don't out, they don't bat people out. You know, occasionally their bowls are really good at bowling teams out for 240, 250, 260, that sort of total. And then their batters kind of crawl there. They might get a couple of those. But the, the, the strength that they have is the ability to be able to bowl teams out. Now, the great news is that they have plenty of options there. But Yeah, a new one, Dunit Welalage or Welalage, he scored 42. I was going to ask you how to pronounce that, and now you've yeah, absolutely terrified me. I think it's Welalage, because the Sri Lankan commentators were saying Welalage. Everyone else Willalage. was saying Welalage. And then the great cricketer boys were saying Welalage and Welalagas. I'm going to call him Wella Legend. Because that's how well he played versus India, right? Five wickets and big ones. Kohli, yeah. Rohit, KL. I, I like him there? as well. He can bat Goodwin. a little bit. He's and mm. he, I know he was captain, I think, of the under-19 team, I want to say, yeah. as well. And, and he's already gotten a lot of big wickets like Barber, Smith, Kohli, Rohit. Exactly. Like He's got the big dogs, right? And no, no, he should have won that I mean, game. Yeah. I, mm. You know, no, no doubt they, they should have done better in that game and in the other one as well. But um, look, I... I I think that what happened was Sri Lanka. I think people have forgotten how bad Sri Lanka were for a long time. Mm. So I can't remember. They lost something like 12 out of 15 ODIs over a period. Then they won. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just making these numbers up. They run like <laughs> 11 on the trot or nine on the trot. 13, or whatever it was. 13, 13 on 13 the trot minutes. very recently. And that's the most after that Australian team. So but that came that just after team. losing yeah. all those games. And right. versus associate nations for the most part. And versus associates. And when I, I filtered out, the only associate nation I had was Netherlands in my data because they made the World mm. Cup. And when you look at it, it looked, it's okay. But in, in some ways, it's like a, a team of like shy hopes, right? <laughs> and then on the other side of the ball, you maybe have a peak Pakistani bowling attack. Right, you know the ability to spin the ball in both ways. Spinners who can bowl all the way through the innings. You know a freak bowler who bowls with a really weird action. A bunch of a really good couple of seamers. They don't take a lot of wickets at the top. That would be the the only thing that I would worry about is if you are permanently going to make less runs than normal. Hmm. That sorry, less runs in the top sides, and then you and then you're in a position where you're not taking wickets straight away. That is my biggest concern because that's the hmm. bit you want to take wickets straight away. So if you made two seventy. You could have the other team, you know, regularly 50 for three or whatever, and then put mm. pressure on in the middle. But they're really good bowling. But don't sleep on the fact that they are absolutely horrendous in their batting. And, you know, I think the, the 50 was shocking because of mm. how dramatic it was and everything else. But I was, there, you know, 
I didn't, I didn't message, I should have messaged Estelle, but I think me and Estelle would have been like, yeah, seems mm. like a possible outcome. And they only need two or three of those in the World Cup, and then it's going to be very hard for them to get anywhere else. So I think they're at about 20 or 30 to 1 at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably fair. Oh, also, someone in the comments, by the way, just before you got here, I was reading one of the comments was saying that, uh, do India deserve to be favourites now? India have never not been favourites for this tournament. Yeah, they've always been favourites. In the last four months, I want to say. I think mm. there were periods in the last four years, obviously, where England have been the favourites. But mm. India have been really short favourites for a long time now. So it shows you how much people get swayed by one game or the yeah. talk around the team. Right? Particularly in the subcontinent. It's a thing. Yeah, I think that happens everywhere, though, because you look at South mm. Africa, I can tell you, South <laughs> Africa shortened, in, even in the yeah. odds. But if you listen to fans, South Africa is like, right, a semi-final chance right um, now. Mm. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. At one stage, South Africa didn't look like they were going to have to go through the qualifiers in this tournament, right? <laughs> That's there's, true. there's a lot going on with that team. We can't suddenly just say because they played a couple of games against a weird experimental Australian team that were trying mm. to score at nine runs and over that suddenly South Africa is better. <laughs> I think South Africa is a really good team and they're a really interesting team. They might be the best value for money if you bet. Um, I don't bet. Bayronda, do you bet? I used to. Uh, yeah. Now I live in Pakistan. <laughs> so obviously you don't bet. Um, but if you are looking for value for money, they're probably the best value for money uh, one. You, mm. I, I think you could ride your luck with, uh, with South Africa. And if nothing else, at the end, you will feel the same kind of anguish that all South Africans feel. You know what I made a lot of money on? On Rahat Ali going for less than three runs and over. Made me lots of money back in the day in Test cricket. And I know you're you're a big Rahat Ali fan, right? But yeah, I mean, just some closing notes on Sri Lanka before we end this. I'll just say that what I've seen of Dunit Velalage, I think that, look, the fact that he's 20 and the charisma that he brings onto the scene and the way he just approaches, approaches his game, bowls a very nice length you know, consistently. Mm. Very, very accurate with his length. And he could be the difference in a lot of games if he's paired up with Hasaranga. We haven't seen that yet. I'd really, really like to see how well, he's fair when he's Do you paired think up they Hasaranga. will do that? Because Hasaranga is in the same direction. Tikshana has an hamstring uh, pulled, right? So he's not going to be available for the first few games. They're going to have to go for both of those guys. Yeah, it's, it's interesting just because they spin the ball in the same direction. I know Hasaranga can mm. bowl wrongins, of course. But yeah. um, look, he's a great backup to have. As a, you know, the batting... Uh, at confidence and everything. I don't think it's the difference between them making a semi-final and not making a semi-final, mm. which I think maybe some Sri Lankan fans at the moment are kind of pinning their hopes on that. Mm. I'm not sure if he even gets in their best side, unless they end up on pitches where they need three spinners and then obviously, well, True. I suppose you've got Dan and Jaya as well. But, you know, in that situation, that might be a little bit different. But, uh, and look, he's a fantastic talent and maybe it's not for this World Cup, but going ahead, the ball to Baba, like, the control that he has over his length specifically of just yeah. tossing it that little bit fuller, but still not having a position where a top player of spin like Bubba can come down and get to it. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, world-class and well-deserved wicket. But anyway, that's enough for the Asia Cup. This is Uncovered, episode 50. I'm Baram Kaz. You can find me at DefMang on Twitter. With me is Jared. And we'll be back after this short break to talk about South Africa and Australia. See you shortly. Love cricket? Love strategy? Why not try Wicket Cricket Manager, the game for you? Manage your team, outsmart opponents, and lead your players to triumph. Dive into the world of dot balls and wines and experience the excitement of this elaborate cricket fantasy game on Wicket Cricket Manager. Welcome back to episode 50 of Uncovered. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at DefMang on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber, as always. So, Jared, the last time we spoke in last year, not last year's, last week's Uncovered podcast... South Africa and Australia was quite a dim-looking series. Australia had won all five limited overs fixtures, the three T20s and the first two ODIs. And 
South Africa really turned it around, right, in quite a heroic manner. They not only won the remaining three ODIs to win the series, they won each of those games by a 100-plus run margin, which is elaborate, I suppose, to say the least. How do you view this comeback? I know you've spoken a bit about it before, but that's that's quite phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, how serious do we think Australia was taking it by the end? I mean, Mitchell Marsh was opening in the last game, but then he scored a 50. So I suppose somewhat serious. Yeah, I just think, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on them doing well, <laughs> but like by the end, I did sort of just think to myself that it was, um, they didn't really. You know, I don't think either team cared massively about the result of this series, but I think that Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, South Africa were very upset with the way that they had played so far. But by the end, it did feel like Australia was just pulling out random people from, you know, the big bash and giving them a game a little <laughs> bit. And so I find it hard to take too many. I mean, and, and the other thing is that even if you say, well, they played really, really well, does this help either team playing in South Africa? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing not. Uh, So I'm not sure how many uh, positives I would take out of it from that perspective. But the the the, that middle or that top six that South Africa has Mm. is still working, and that is their most important uh, way of being successful in this World Cup. And it, it, you know, if it if it fumbles, it doesn't work. And so I suppose Mm. them struggling early on in that series was a concern from that perspective, Mm. right? Um, and so being able to pull it back was good, but yeah, I, I'm not gonna, I don't, it's not that I don't want to take it seriously or anything like that mm. for either team, really. It's just that we should be taking from this, that these are warm ups, and, you know, like Australia, w- w- which game was it when Australia was going at like nine runs and over and was bowled out? Was it? Um, I think the second one. Yeah. It's called 390 odd. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they were just <laughs> mucking around is the wrong way of putting it. But they certainly weren't playing the exact way um, that they should be playing, um, and so you know, with that in mind, it was it was a bit of a weird series. Like you got M- Mitchell Marsh, David Warner, Josh English, Manus Labuschagne, uh, Tim David, Sean Dab- mm. Sean Abbott, Michael Nisa, Nathan Ellis in that side, right? That's I think that's the fifth game. Is it yeah. fifth or fourth? Yeah, I fifth. mean, Bar- Barrett, if he was still here, he would be really happy that Michael Nisa got a game, right? He's yeah, probably and still really happy. If, and that, I mean, who else is going to be happy about that squad, right? Like, it's a, yeah. it's a, it is what it is. They were yeah. the players that they wanted to get some game time into, they kept there. And the players who were fit, mm-hmm. which is also not a lot of people, they kept there. Yeah. Um, and everyone else is just like, oh, we'll just okay, toss you all around yeah. and we'll do what we can. So, should South Africa be happy they started winning games? Sure. Um, but would Australia be upset that they lost a few games there? Probably. Mm. I, I mean, if they are, I'd be shocked. Mm. Absolutely shocked. So there, there are individual stories that I think are quite interesting mm. here, like the Hunter Classen story and mm. you know, and some of those other uh some of those Just other ones. on that, you know, I think South Africa's middle order. I mean, we spoke about how they're reliant on the top six, plus Marco Janssen, who was also really good. We'll we'll come to him later. But the way Heinrich Klassen absolutely butchered the ball. David Miller got consistent runs at a quick strike rate. And Aiden Markram as well. He's been getting some scores, 100 and a 90. That trio of Markram, Klassen, and uh, what's his face? Who's the last guy? David Miller. Now, these three have played in India as well. At least Klassen and Miller have quite a bit. Do you think that they could, you know, hold a key with respect to South Africa's chances? Because look, 
Miller and Klassen are two players who average over 40 and strike at over 100. We were looking at players with Cheyenne, incidentally, the other day, right? And they were only about four in contemporary cricket. So that's quite an asset to have because... And then when you paired with Markram, you know, with those numbers, because teams would kill for like one of those guys. South Africa have two. Look, the whole top six is phenomenal. What they've done yeah. over the last three or four years, since the last World Cup cycle. Um, I don't think any team's... I don't think any team has had uh, as consistently performing a top six and that, you know, ever in the history of ODI cricket as they've probably had over the last few years. David Miller has been completely, um, I, I think because it took him so long to finally work out his game, people had kind of given up on him. And so when he got good, people weren't paying <laughs> as much attention to it as perhaps they should have. Uh, you know, uh, Rassi van der Dussen, the amount of times yeah. that Rassi van der Dussen has, um, you know, batted with Miller and they'll be four wickets down in the 35th over and they'll still score 150 runs in the mm -hmm. last 15 overs without losing another wicket. It's just extraordinary what what these yeah. um, what this team has managed to do over a period of time. And even if they're – they're still question marks because mm -hmm. Marco Janssen, I know in one of those games, I think he hit 32 off, off not many balls – um, he got a few quick scores towards the end, right? A 30, a 40, then got a five-wicket haul. He's been the supreme number seven for South Africa off late. I know CS yeah, will be really and, and excited so, with him. And I think, that's, I think that matters a little bit more. So I think you're right. I think he got a couple of scores. I think he got 30 and a 40-odd. Mm. Yeah. That is really important because I do mm. think that allows them to stretch their legs a little bit more, right? The, yeah. You know, to do that. But realistically, I don't think Michael Janssen is probably the difference between them winning and losing this World Cup. Because mm. if their top six can continues to bat the way they are, uh, that that is what will make them a whatever we have them as second or third tier team into a you know the, uh, the tier higher. My question is that uh, I've seen them play live, I've commentated on them, you know, I've done analysis, all these sorts of things, and I still don't know exactly how it's working. Now that just, could just be that I'm missing something in the way that they're mm. doing it. But when I do see something like that, I do wonder if that is the sort of thing that will fail in the World Cup, right? Mm. So when they get to the end, if if let's say they lose, I think there was one of these games, let me just find it, where they were, so they were 80 for three mm. after 18 overs, right? And Australia's bowling attack was Nisa Abbott, Green, Alice Zampa, Tim David. So one frontline bowler in that, right? Mm. And they were 80 for three. If they get to, let's say, 60 for three mm. against... Sri Lanka in a must-win game to make sure that they qualify. Mm -hmm. That's when I worry about this batting lineup. I don't Fair worry enough. about it in bilateral games, hmm. but I worry about the lack of depth and the and the fact that they've basically done all their work in their top six hmm. over and over and over again. And we know that when you face Shahina Freedy, he's going to take three early wickets, and Siraj is going to hmm. take early wickets, and you know Hazelwood or Stark or Bolt or you know. Even Ben Meekeren, all these guys mm. are capable of taking two and three early wickets, putting you on your ass a little bit. It's a very big difference between from coming back for 60 to three. And I'm not saying they're always going to be 60 for three, but they're going to be 60 mm. for three a couple of times. There's a big difference between doing that in a bilateral game and doing that in the World Cup. And that really needs to be, you need to put neon lights on that, mate. Do you know what I mean? You really need to put neon lights on that because. So much of what they have done, I just don't think is replicable, right? Mm. And yet they have managed to replicate it. 
And if I was going to compare them to any other sides, forget the shirts they wear, would be previous South African sides where I've looked at it <laughs> and just been like, I don't know about this. And everyone else would call them chokers. And I usually write the article going, well, it wasn't choking. They went in with this kind of lineup. And under the pressure, mm. it was very hard to pull this kind of lineup off, right? The yeah. five bowlers, six batters combo. Mm. And, you know, Marco slapping a couple is quite handy, but he wasn't slapping yeah. them against Mitchell Stark and Jasper Bulmer, right? True. Right? That's, so, that's very true. So I, that's the only thing I would say I would, pu- I would put into all of this is that um, if you are hyping them up a lot, you need to know that. What I would say is they still have the best bowling lineup um, of any center country going to Asia in this World Cup. Yeah. And they have and they five... don't even have Nokia right now, right? Nokia is injured. So if he's yeah. back, you look a exactly. lot more potent. Well, th- I don't even know if he plays in, 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 yeah, I mean, in the, in the team see. as it's currently constructed. I mean, because you, mm. you play the two spinners automatically. Marco Janssen has to play for the batting at number seven. Mm. Uh, and then and then Ngidi and Rabada might take the same bowling. That's true. You know, so I suppose he probably replaces Ngidi then if he comes in. Well, Ngidi's record ball, in one-day cricket of recent times in, in the power play is so exceptional, and he's a good death bowler. Yeah, they may not. And, and Nokia can't bowl in the power play, right? He's a middle overs destroyer. He's not done very well in the power play of recent. He's averaging mm. over a hundred, so yeah. um, it's not <laughs> ideal. Um, mm. Look, I love Nokia, and I think that he maybe is a better bowler than Ngidi, all mm. things considered. But right at the moment, I'm not sure. I suppose the point is they don't need to rush him back in. Mm. Right, they can let him go. If maybe things are going wrong, they can bring him in, um, and they can have a look at that. And uh, maybe against certain, against certain teams, maybe you bring Nokia back. You know, for the Netherlands, right? And you say, yeah. just steamroll the Netherlands, steamroll Sri Lanka for us, which will make it easier on everyone else, and, and we can mm. do that. But yeah, they're a really interesting team. As I said, value for money bet might be the best team. I, I think so many things have to go right for them to win, mm. but the. Six batters, five bowlers. If you just look at their team in that way, it's a very good team. It's when you remember yeah. that that's not how, um, you know, Aiden Markram might have to bowl because one of their bowlers gets hit around and, <laughs> you know, all those sorts of things. That's when you start to think, well, is it as good as I thought? Yeah, yeah, that's very fair. And given that team composition, I feel like I'm impressed with their bowling attack. I mentioned how I really like that middle order. So it really comes down to uh, Quinny, Temba, if he's fit, because he's also gotten injured after scoring a few runs, and Rasi. If those three can get runs consistently up top, I think South Africa will have a better shot at winning games. But speaking of in- injuries, of course, we do hope that Temba Babuma is back for South Africa. But what we do know is that Travis Head is going to miss the initial part of the World Cup for Australia. And this is a big blow, pun intended, definitely pun intended. Um, but, you know, given that Warner's going so well, it's his last World Cup, probably considering the way things are going. And him and Head looked like a very formidable force up top. You could mm. see that this was going to be a, one of the big positives for Australia in the World Cup. All of a sudden, that is hampered. How much will it potentially impact them? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a dynamic opening partnership, mm. and it's not an easy thing to replicate. I think they have enough batting talent to handle it, but do they have someone who is confident enough to be able to bat? consistently in that position and also in order to fix it do they have to move the rest of the order right they were just getting Mm. to a point where perhaps people were feeling better essentially what australia usually do is just throw talent at problems Mm. right you know pakistan throw youth yeah Mm -hmm. um and australia throw talent at problems so from that perspective manus was the top run scorer i think in that south africa series right despite Mm. the fact he wasn't in the all the first game um (laughs) Again, that's just talent, isn't it? So then you're backing him. Whether Manus and Smith together can sometimes be a little bit too, you know, 
let's call it Bubba Rizwan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if that is an issue, but generally that's what they would do. They will throw talent at it. So I'm not 100% sure how they would go. Also, I don't know how much we know about the Travis head injury yet. I, I don't, it's a know. broken wrist, isn't it? I, I mean, is it, but is it a hairline fracture? Is it a proper mm, break? That's you true. know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's because I mean, the important thing to know is that players play with broken, broken bones quite a lot, especially batters mm. in their hands and wiki keepers. Is he a player who could play with it? Is it something where it's just, it needs to be right? And if it's something that needs to be right, if it is a proper break, then he's out for the whole World Cup and, you know, the yeah. ball game's over. Uh, but I don't, I mean, I don't what, know. Mitch Marsh is opening then for you? Is, is that the solution? Well, that's what I mean. I, I mean, Manus might be the one who just comes in and opens the batting in that situation, mm. right? As I said, talent, just put someone up um, and go there. Sure. Uh, Cameron Green is someone that they might want to mm. have a look at as well. Smith could open. Like Marsh could open. There's a that's what I mean. There's a lot of different options. It's how much uh, Stoinis could open, perhaps. Yeah, Stoinis could actually, right? right. So he's done how that they the look stars. at yeah. So how they look at it probably depends on, um, you know, it, it really depends on what they want to disrupt from the rest of that lineup. Would be mm. my guess. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. a it's a fascinating one if it does end up being something quite serious. Anyway, final thought on Australia, and I couldn't not talk about this. Adam Zampa equaled Mick Lewis, and both of those. Runs well, the, the runs they conceded 113 in 10 overs for no wicket came against South Africa, one in the famous 400 game, and now in this 416 game that South Africa, you know, the fourth ODI, I believe, the Glasson game. Um, funny, right? Zampa gets that record because he's he's been quite amazing for Australian ODI cricket. Do you know, he's I not just... Mick Lewis. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, Mick Lewis is a legend. I used to captain my club. Um, ah. I think, I think with Adam Zampa, the funny thing is that. He was just getting to the point where everyone was starting to go, Adam Zampa's massively underrated. We should talk more about Adam Zampa. Yeah. You know, we, we got Ari in our um, chat was talking about him nonstop, but other people have been saying um, how good he is. Someone sent me a message the other day, you got to do a video on, 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 on how great Zampa's been. And they're right, all those people. Mm-hmm. And then this happens. And I think this is, for someone who's always been a fan of Zampa, I've kind of, it always feels that as good as he's bowling, there's always a game around the corner where it all just falls apart. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a mechanical thing or, uh, you know, maybe he didn't take the game as seriously or it's just he got caught against the left-hander who could pick his wrong one or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. I think that his record is much better than Adil Rashid's. I think the one thing that Adil Rashid is very good at when he plays against a left-hander who um, is just going to hoik him to the leg side is Rashid basically turns himself into, like, an off-spinner. He bowls really, really wide, these big, slow-turning wrong ones, and he says, well, if you want to swipe these across the line, you can. I reckon eventually you hit one straight up in the air. Zappa doesn't really have the ability to spin the ball as much as Rashid. He probably can't bowl the wrong end at the same level. It doesn't get as much drop or anything like that. Makes better coffee than Adil Rashid. Have I ever told you the story about like Adam Zampa walking around the hotel in the CPL, basically dressed in a toga with his coffee mug from back home? Anyway, for another I, I day. believe it. I definitely um, believe the story. I can so, picture it. <laughs> so essentially... I don't know if it was a toga. I actually don't know mm. the official name for the clothing he was wearing, but it was mm. it was not it was not traditional Australian cricket clothes. I could say that it wasn't it wasn't his uh, CPL clothes. So did yes, he have I a think, mullet, or did he not have a mullet? I can't remember if he had a mullet back then. He's a lovely guy. I've, I've met him a couple mm. times. Re- really nice guy. Um, but yeah, so I think there are situations where matchups can get him, mm. and you know, Adil Rashid is maybe slightly better um, suited than that. But Zampa is better when everything's in both their favours, I think, mm. and w- should be more suited to Indian wickets as well. It bowls a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, when it goes wrong for Zampa, I kind of, I mean, this is an extreme uh, example of it, but I kind of feel it really goes wrong for him. Um, mm. And it'd be a really interesting World Cup for Adam Zampa. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that Marcus Stoinis went and gave him a big giant hug after he conceded all those runs. But we'll come back after a short break to talk England and New Zealand. You're watching the Uncovered Podcast with Behram and Jared. And we'll be back shortly. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices. So all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today. Welcome back to episode 50 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and I'm with Jared Kimber as always. So, Jared, before we jump into the England-New Zealand stuff, there's a super chat by Eknath JP. So if you could bring that up to the screen and I can narrate it for you. Please. All right. Eknath asks, how do you remember Mohammed Asif's bowling from a skills-based point of view and what do you make of the narrative around how good he was? I think he was poetry in motion. And out of all the spot-fixing scandals that have hit Pakistan, that, that was the one that probably hit Pakistan the worst. And I'd say this, knowing Mohammed Amir was also part of that. I think Asif was just different gravy. He could make the ball talk, bowl the wobble ball before anyone else could. And yeah, I'll let Jared take it away. I, I've said for a long time, I think he's the most skillful seam bowler I've ever seen. Um, I thought Stuart Clark, Vernon Philander, Jimmy Anderson, you know, all have very, very good claims um, of being up there. But I think... Muhammad Asif at his absolute best was was so in control of what he did as a seamer that he was almost a spinner. He mm. could move you around the crease exactly like a spinner does. Um, his ability to move the ball in both different directions. Also, the wobble ball, as you said, which mm. has changed the game, right? You know, if yeah. Muhammad Asif doesn't do that, maybe it would have been worked out eventually in the next five to seven years after that. Um, mm. But just because cameras got good and so we started seeing close-ups of hands and maybe bowlers would have worked it out that way. Um, but Mohamed Asif was, you know, absolutely brilliant at it. I think we, if, if you think of how brilliant Stuart Clark was over a very small period of time, Mohamed Asif did it mm. on pitches that didn't help and he didn't have the natural, you know, the bounce that, that mm-hmm. Stuart Clark um, uh, had there. I don't think I've seen Asima with the ability to bowl that many different deliveries at will um, and be in complete control in each and every one of them and use them at the right time. Um, I've tried to sit down with him before. He's a, as you can probably imagine, he's a bit of a interesting uh, character. Um, was he, but, was he sober? Was he sober when you met him? With, I, I was on WhatsApp. I was trying to get him to talk ah. about the wobble ball. And he, he said, okay. he said, yes, I can tell you so many things come to America. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get the, uh, I don't know if I'm going to mm. get uh, um, anyone to pay me to come to America to talk to you about the wobble ball. Um, yeah. But yeah, so look, I think, I think he was, it was just before the bit where we had super slow-mo cameras and all this, mm. you know, sort of others. And even the Hawkeye era was just at the start there. I think if we had all that stuff for him, we, you know, mm. he would be remembered even more fondly. Although obviously, you know, he shit in his own beer. Um, to use yeah. a, a famous expression. And he drank that beer then after shitting in it. Well, I don't know well, if he drank the beer. I wasn't there for the full thing, but he certainly, uh, <laughs> you know, paid for his crimes and is now mm. I think, living in America somewhere still, I yeah. think, last time I heard. He's quite involved in the American cricket circuit. And I mean, the guy was absolute magic. And Eknath, if you want a more thorough explanation, just just reach out to KP. Ask him mm. the same question, right? Um, Google, anyway, moving- I mean, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and find some of the spells he bowled to KP. Incredible. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And even Amla and AB speak highly of him. But anyway, we're, we're going to move to England, New Zealand because we're a little short on time. Last time we spoke about the series, it stood at 1-1. Of course, it was a four-match ODI series and England did win the last two games. They won the series 3-1. And perhaps the biggest takeaway is that David Milan was opening the batting, replaced mm-hmm. Harry Brook, scored a shit ton of runs, you know, 127 in the last game, 96 in the third game. And yeah, he basically won himself a ticket to India and... Luke Wright has said that he will be opening the batting in India. So effectively, Jason Roy is out of the squad and Harry Brook is back in. And there is a lot of stuff to unpack over here. So please unpack it for me. <laughs> so I, I was pretty positive that Milan was going to play in the team regardless. Hmm. And it's really interesting because Matt Roller was positive he was going to be the backup. Hmm. And, you know, we both have different people that we talk to and both have different ways that, you know, that we look at all these different things, right? Um, and in the end, it's not that either of us are probably right or wrong because we will never know 100% mm. what had happened. But uh, England gave Roy a big chance to prove himself. But essentially, I don't think it was that Roy, because Roy actually did get better after, you know, struggling for a long time. But in the end, I he think... Got, he he's got two ODI tons this year, right? Jason yeah. Roy versus South, South Africa, Africa and Bangladesh. It, yeah. And then Bangladesh. I think I commentated both of those games. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't that Roy proved himself to not be good. It's that Milan essentially just changed the conversation, right? Yeah. Um, he, if, if Roy had been fit and ended up averaging, what, 35 in this series, hmm. I don't think Milan would be going as an opener. And I don't think that England's plan was to take him as an opener. I think they thought with Milan they had someone who could back up any of their players from one to five, but that hmm. I still believe that they're their decision was going to be to bat him at four and bat Stokes at five or the other way around. Hmm. Um, so, and that's now, and, and two things have changed because it isn't just one that changed. The other thing that changed was go back and have a look at some of the comments when I made my video about Liam Living, uh, about Brooke and Livingston. Everyone was like, hmm. I can't believe Livingston's in this side. And I, I was like, what have you guys been watching? Right. Yeah. So Livingston basically proved that he could play in the top hmm. six. Um, which then meant that Milan proves he could play in the, in, in the opening position. And so England made a very rude decision. Now, were they for an excuse to bring Brook in? Yes. I don't think they wanted to go to the World Cup struggle and not have Brook in with everyone whinging hmm. at a certain point. And we talked about from the first, the first time he was in the side. The problem isn't really the batting because you could argue that hmm. Roy and Brook should be in this side. Um, the yep. problem in the quarter, I should say. The problem is that they still don't know who their best bowlers are. And so because of that, they've, they've made a similar decision again of just going, okay, well, we're just going to try try to do this as best we can uh, with an extra bowler on the side. And now we think that Brooke is going to be able to do this. But, you know, if they do get a late injury, I don't think Brooke mm. is going to be able to cover them in the same way. But maybe they'll just move things around. Maybe Stokes will open in that game or, or whatever the case may be. But um, I thought Milan was brilliant in the games. So I saw it completely outbatted Brooke. Mm. Um, and I thought Livingston was uh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Did he make two 50s, I think? Uh, yes. I know he made the 90s. First two games. Yeah, yeah, first two games. I thought he was brilliant in those games. And also in the... Took, took some wickets as well, Livingston. Yeah, he's bullshit. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he... <laughs> I'm not giving him any credit for that. Um, but I, that, I think it was that innings in the second game where I think he wanted to show... Look, he knows he's never going to bat top four, but I think he mm. wanted to show he could at the very least back up, be a backup number five for them. And obviously as a number six, I think it was in that game he came in at seven. I actually mm-hmm. moved Mo ahead of him. Might have been a match as much as anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then Livingston came in and crushed him everywhere. I was actually just watching some replays to um, highlight that before. Really, really strong innings. So 
I would say that it's a combination of Milan making runs and Livingston making runs that mm. has meant that they just think they don't need Roy anymore. Um, and what a sad end for someone who helped them win a World Cup and was a fantastic player. Remember seeing yeah. Jason Roy as a really young talent, just absolutely mm-hmm. next level, and he'll go off and play fl- fr- franchise? franchise cricket for the next few years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the direction. And I mean, I, I love Jason Roy, but I think this does make more sense because, you know, Ben Stokes, he was clutching at his knee again when he scored that wonderful 182 at the Oval. He absolutely smashed New Zealand and he was just teeing off. It was it was Stokes at his breathtaking best, but you could tell that he was in a bit of pain. And if, for instance, Stokes does get injured in India, then the obvious replacement is Harry Brook, not Jason Roy. So to me, that kind of makes sense. But, but were you there for the Stokes innings? Talk to me about the Stokes innings. No, I missed that one, sadly. Ah. Um, yeah, so I didn't get to see that. Look, I, the one thing I would say about Stokes is we don't know exactly what his injury is. Hmm. They're being very coy with it. Um, if it is a lack of cartilage, and I'm not saying it's just a lack of cartilage, but if a lack of cartilage is part of the problem, so the Andre Russell injury, he's going to be clutching at it for the rest of his life, right? Hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't play cricket. Andre Russell's still playing, right? Mm-hmm. What it means is that occasionally the bones will bang together and it will hurt. So I'd be more worried about a lack of flexibility um, mm-hmm. or the inability to you know, uh, run for more than 30 metres than I would be in an individual clutch. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's if I'm, I'm right and it is a lack of cartilage. If it's something else completely, um, like he's got a... I, ca- I can't imagine what else would be this generative... Um, that he could still play with, though. So Mm. I'm going to assume it's that. But if it is something else completely, it might be a little bit different. But I think we have to... It's a bit like seeing Mike Atherton or Michael Clark in Mm. their late career and seeing them clutch their back or stretch their back and go, ooh. But it's like, yeah, but they can play with it. It's just they're trying to make Mm -hmm. it looser at all times. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, just one final thought on England before I have like a two quick quick two pointer on New Zealand as well. Just quickly now, name your five bowling five person bowling attack for England, and then I'll go. Joffre this is Archer, rapid fire. You don't get to Mark think much. Wood. Joffre Archer, Mark Wood. <laughs> you can't bring Joffre in the equation over there. <laughs> um, it it will be Wokes, Rashid, Moen Ali, and then I would have Sam Curran. And I think as it currently stands, I would have Reese Topley. I don't think mm. I would play Willie or um, the young fella whose name I've got, Atkinson. Yeah, yeah Gus Atkinson. I, I think yeah. Topley plays because he adds the left armour dimension. Of course, both Moin and Adil Rashid play. And uh, I would say Chris Wokes, uh, you know, is one of the first names on the team sheet. And I know a lot of people would disagree. They'll say it's Indian conditions or whatever. But he's he really makes that new ball talk. I think it's going to come down between Curran and Mark Wood for whatever games Mark Wood is available. That, that's how I see this, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of thought the re- only reason I don't have Mark Wood in that side is just because I think they still want a little bit of extra batting. And I think they want Topley at the top and the end. But I do, I, I think it is possible that Curran, Wood, and Topley, all th- mm. three of them, are actually slightly interchangeable and maybe mm-hmm. different sides and different times. So by the end of the tournament, I'd actually be shocked if Mark Wood wasn't there just because I'm not sure that Curran and Topley can do that job together. Yeah. If you're asking me who they would go with at the moment, I would think that. Um, Topley bowled so well in the middle overs in one of those games that they might even think that they can use him a little bit there. But it, it just, I, I'm, I don't think England are as confident as it were four years ago. I think they're really, the fact that they've suddenly dropped Roy really yeah. makes me doubt a lot of their confidence. And that's almost why I think that they may not go with Wood straight away. Hmm. The, the other option, of course, is 
you know, to go with Wood and Topley together and just back mm-hmm. that you have enough batting talent to be able to get you through. Um, yeah. And then, you know, because Wokes, Wokes still bats at eight in that side, does he, or seven? Yeah, because Moeen will be at Moen's seven, at seven. So Wokes at eight. Yeah. Wokes at eight. Then you have to back Moeen to bowl his overs, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's Livingston to kind of help over there if Moeen has Yeah, well, Livingston play. and Root give them a backup, hmm. I think. You yeah. Know? And then... Well, if Root and, plays, right? Root's position is under contention right now. He's not scoring runs. No, Root's going to play. That's, that's, no, that's that's not under Um And then, and then, if you bring Mark Wood in, you give yourself the chance of slapping the ball around a little bit. Um, mm. You know, Shadul Taku, chaos hitting mm. type guy at the end. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, they could go with that. I'd be I'd be surprised if they rush uh, Wood back in, mm. and that they might just give it a couple of games and then see how the more all roundery side goes. But Root, uh, now you've got me saying Root all the time. Um, but Wood <laughs> is certainly the change they, they would make almost instantly. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Uh, some points on New Zealand, of course. We spoke about Rachin Ravindra in the last podcast, and we spoke about how he might be that weak link in New Zealand side. Well, he got 61 at Lords and took four wickets. Has he changed your opinion at all, or are we still there? No, because I've thrown about eight half-crackers in the first game. Like, I mean, I, it's not that I don't think he's talented because I do think he's very talented. Mm. Um, I like his batting. Mm. I'm not sure his batting mm. is going to transform them from a good side to a great side, but his batting might get out of trouble a few times, which is, which is really good. Mm. He, he is capable of bowling good uh, balls and getting wickets. I'm more interested in how he goes in Asia anyway. Um, mm. But he he was unbowlable in that second game, right? Mm-hmm. Massively on top, and he was unbowlable. And so yeah. uh, that's an issue for them. And he, I mean, this isn't this isn't slandering him or anything as well because he wouldn't be in that side. Bracewell would be in that side if they, you know, True. they had had their their way about them. So you know, it, it, you've got a young player still learning his craft hmm. with a lot of talent, um, who's probably going to have a much bigger role in this particular World Cup than he should have. But there's yeah. talent there, and you know, maybe mm-hmm. he gets them out of a couple of games. I actually thought Glenn Phillips fall better than him in this series, if we're being honest. I think Glenn Phillips will be the standout player for New Zealand in this World Cup. I've got a feeling. I feel like that all the time and it never happens. So, <laughs> um, always, always hope for Glenn Phillips. Hmm. Yeah. One final thought on New Zealand, of course, Tim Saudi is also injured himself. So, the injuries yeah. all over the world right now. And, you know, Saudi wasn't starting for New Zealand in the last World Cup because they had Trent Bolt, Matt Henry and Lockie Ferguson. And whilst Lockie is not at his devastating best right now. Henry's been really good and Bolt was the leading wicket-taker in the series. He, he took a fifer mm. as well and then a three-four. Only occasion. average of 11, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and he's been out of the New Zealand team for a while. So now he's mm. back. He's looking really good. And you'd have to think that maybe they won't really miss Saudi as much. Uh, th- look, the problem with... if you, The problem with Saudi is that that's, he's a third new ball bowler, right? And they don't mm. need a third new ball bowler. And I think Cheyenne looked the, the numbers up the other day. He's not a bad death bowler overall mm. but once it gets to the actual end of the death he just gets absolutely hammered everywhere mm. and people it i'd love to say that cricket relies on stats but kind of people don't and they're eventually just going to go back <laughs> to the whole thing of um what they remembered and i think that if you've watched new zealand play you know one day cricket over a uh, period of time you would just remember a lot of overs where sally got absolutely smashed everywhere mm-hmm. um absolutely but if Lockie can't do what Lockie does, then, you know, and Southie's fit, that kind of has to be Southie, doesn't it? I mean, I yeah. don't know what, I'm not saying they don't have other seamers because clearly they do have other seamers. But, but they don't have express space. No, 
But if mm. Lockie Express Pace goes for runs, I mean, he look, Nokia and Lockie have not been at their best in the last year, year and a half. Mm. And I, I don't know if they've just got niggles or they haven't been able to, you know, be completely fit. Lockie Ferguson at his best is the best bowler in this attack, right? Mm. Uh, like I truly believe, especially in Asian conditions, especially in white ball condition. Yeah. Um, he's not at his best. And so maybe Southwick's back in if he's fit just for that experience point of view. I don't think if Lockie isn't at his best, they can even make the semifinals. I think if yeah. Lockie's at his absolute best, that gives him a good chance of making the finals. But he has to be at his absolute best. There's too many weaknesses in this side. They don't have a spinner who can take regular wickets. They've got a 23-year-old batter who's who's who we're talking up because he took four wickets and we're hoping that works well. Yeah. It's not about Glenn Phillips bowling. Like, mm. Lockie Ferguson has to have a good tournament um, outside of Trent Bolt taking 25 wickets. Yeah, now that sounds fair enough. But anyway, that's a good place to end this podcast. I think lock that in, pun intended. But yeah, thanks to all the viewers for tuning in. And thanks to you, of course, Jared. And yeah, you can catch us again next week. I'm Baram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me was Jared Kimber. We'll see you again for episode 51 next week. That's all for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. <laughs>